Hey everyone, welcome to the Work Friends Podcast, where we bring meaningful conversations to you. I'm Jen Brubaker, and I'm here with my co-host, work and real friend, Ainsley Stanley. This season on the podcast, we're pausing to remember and reflect. Remember the key people and events in the good and hard seasons of life, and reflect on God's provision, goodness, and grace. We'll hear from old and new friends, even some that are no longer living, about God's unchanging nature through it all. Today on the podcast, we are listening to part one of a two-part conversation with our gal Vivian David, or Viv. She is a spiritual formation support on the Youth for Christ national team here in Canada. And today, for the first part of our conversation, we're digging into one of her dead mentors, Julian of Norwich. It is a crazy, fun conversation. She's full of wisdom, depth, and joy, and we know you're going to enjoy this conversation. So go for a long walk because you will want to chew, savor, and digest this conversation. Do whatever you need to do and enjoy today's episode. All right. Well, do you prefer Viv or Vivian? Viv is fine. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Okay. Well, Viv, here's your official welcome to the Work Friends podcast. We are just jazzed that you could come on. It was kind of funny. Jen and I have been planning this season for like... A long time. It has like changed. It's had the, the same heartbeat, but like a different name and focus mm-hmm. like every month for like the last probably like eight months or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like it's been a long time coming. And it's kind of just started to kind of come together the last uh, like month or two kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of just recently I've been connected with you and I was like, Jen, I think we need to have yeah. her on the podcast. It'll be so great. So we're so excited to have you on. So, uh, yeah, thank you. Awesome. Well, nine months is the perfect amount of time for all things to take shape. So if you were dreaming for eight months and then you had eight, one last month where you're trying to give it a name, it sounds like you're going to have an awesome, healthy baby. Perfect. <laughs> That's the hope. That's the hope. Yeah. So we always like to start off our episodes with some fun facts, uh, just to have people get to know you a little bit. So we're going to throw some random questions at you. Oh, I didn't know um, I needed to be fun. I thought I just had to be really, really growing up. <laughs> we're, we're not that grown up. We are um, getting the oldest we've ever been, but we're, we're still working on it. So we'll, we'll throw some fun in for you. All right. Uh, first off, where did you grow up? Hmm. I grew up right around here. I wanted to like grow up in a cool, faraway place. So I went to Texas when I was a teenager to do this internship thing with a ministry that did acquire the fire or like ATF, if you guys Uh, ever heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I was like, I'm available to do faraway, cool, awesome things. But I'm from like, and then I came and lived back home in my like little rural area of Eastern Ontario. So I was always hoping I'd get to do something cool far away, but turns out that Far away is just as normal as here, it seems. <laughs> That's funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is your ideal day? In my head, there's an ideal day. But then um, it involves, you know, getting up very early and eating healthy things and exercising and being balanced and grown up and like putting my clothes away 
And then in reality, I realize that I don't get up as early as I want to. And then I find myself stuffing things into my face that um, aren't on that list of dream things. And then <laughs> at the end of the day, I'm like, why is there laundry laying on the floor in my bedroom? So the real, the real day that's good involves people, involves good food, involves um, hearing stories, getting to be outside in nature. And then the, the day in my brain, I've never actually had one of those yet. So I can't really tell you what that would be like. <laughs> mm, fair enough that's fun if you could have dinner with three people dead or alive who would they be three huh mm-hmm. well I do enjoy talking so I feel like sometimes I would probably pick quiet people so that they would listen to me but <laughs> then I would feel like they're really wise because usually quiet people are wise so then I'm like mm. Who should that be? Do I get to pick the people that I'm going to talk about today or do I get to pick other people? (laughs) Mm, Pick some other people for fun and then we'll just assume the others. Man, that's such a good question. Can you girls start me off with one of your favorite people? Ooh. (laughs) I would say Louis Zamperini would be one. Mm. Like he was a World War II veteran mm-hmm. found Jesus at a Billy Graham rally insane story mm. of him being captured and being a prisoner of war mm. and yeah I would I think he just passed away a few years ago I would love to talk to him about how he did it mm. and uh yeah how yeah his love for Jesus after a lot of suffering mm. well I'm sure that was a the connection one. between the two okay Ains what about you mm. Uh, the first person that comes to mind is a guy named Brian Stevenson mm. and he, oh, what's yeah. the movie? It just, just mercy, just mercy. I've never seen the movie, but it's one of my favorite books. Um, and he talks about how, uh, this, this ministry of proximity essentially, mm-hmm. and how if we were more proximate to people and allowed ourselves to get close to people mm-hmm. that it would solve. I mean, he, he specifically, uh, he basically runs like a pro bono nonprofit that works with um, people who are on death row or wow. life in prison um, mm. and like deals especially with a lot of then racial issues. And he is black himself. And so he talks a lot about racial issues, but he really talks about human issues and how if we allow ourselves to rub shoulders with people, then it's really hard to hate people. Yeah. Um, and I just would love to just sit with him and just ask him about that. Hmm. So, yeah, that's really good. You've shown me up, girls. I'm proud of you. Uh, <laughs> there's so many people. Um, okay, so not to overemphasize, like, sometimes we forget about Bible people, folks, in, in Bible history. But I think Mary, like, I'm like, you know, we like she just barely says anything in the Bible. But she, like, watched him, Jesus, grow up what on earth? Like, mm. like I knew that I know that she knew that he was the Christ, but then like, did she forget some days? Like, you know, I, I don't know. Just like to get to see him before he was like the thing that we think of him as that would just be yeah. so crazy. Um, mm. and that that person had been inside of you. I mean, and I realize now we all get to carry Christ in us. So that's really awesome. But, um, but she really actually physically did. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's pretty darn cool. Um, I mean, people that were in concentration camps, I could pick any number of people, but I just think people that have been through stuff that obviously shaped them, uh, 
but didn't have to shape them into that. Because when you go through really tough things, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to come out awesome. It just is an opportunity mm. if you decide that you want it to shape you that way. That would be um, pretty awesome. And um, yeah, oh my goodness. Someone that like maybe Harriet Tubman or someone who had who'd been like a slave and had been free and um, mm. could share from their life. I think that would be really incredible. Um, and like the other day I was looking up, like I was trying to look up letters that she'd written and then I was like, couldn't find anything. And then I was like, oh, right. She was illiterate. Like, I'm so, mm. I'm so silly that I wouldn't have known that she <laughs> wasn't given the gift of education. And it didn't mean that she mm. wasn't smart or capable, but that she, um, just didn't ever have the opportunities that are so normal and so just basic for us to be able to read and write, you know? Yeah. And to bring right. up, like the power that people can have without having those gifts and imagine if they yeah. did wow like so. <laughs> oh I love that um where is the best place you've been to scuba diving Ooh, uh, yeah oh, cool. it's like a world within a world uh sort of like <laughs> you know you know how on the princess bride they're like a dream within a dream but scuba diving is like a world that exists like right under the water and it's like completely different than anything you could experience here on the walking around on earth you experience yourself like as weightless it's kind of like flying um, you don't get to talk, so you just become really silent and aware of your movement. Like you feel like a guest in the most elaborate, fancy space ever. All these colors, and I, I feel like all the fish are like on their way to a business meeting. They're like doing important things, <laughs> and I don't know what they're doing. And then I'm freaking out because you know I'm human and I'm not supposed to be down there in my tank and my <laughs> mask and everything. So it's just been the most surreal human experience to get to be um underwater and and, mm. and I think it's such a space for me to pray and like be like I want to be here so badly but another part of me wants to run away from here right now because I'm scared for my life so to be in those kinds of spaces where it's like so beautiful it's like skydiving or something like that people just are like I want to do this but I don't you know <laughs> mm. every time someone answers that question I just add another thing to my bucket list <laughs> Yes. yes. <laughs> it's like endless things. Um, so we used to ask this question and it was like, if you weren't doing what you were doing, what would you be? What would your life look like? Um, but uh, we were asked by Iona Snare. She said, I like to ask people if they had a parallel life, what would they do? So they get to fulfill right. all the dreams and things they have right now. Yeah. They don't have to give it up. But if you had a parallel life, what would you want it to look like? I would have a lot of parallel lives. I'm actually my, my biggest... <laughs> My biggest, like, if I could think of, like, a thing I've prayed the most over the years is, like, why does my life have to be finite? Like, why can't I have limitless amount of hours, limitless amount of energy? Like, why do I have to sleep at night? Why can't I just keep going? Why can't I be everywhere at once? You know, I'm like, basically, God, I want to be you. <laughs> uh, problem. So, um <laughs> Then I realized I am infinite. I just, I'm only at the beginning of a life of eternity. And so I don't freak out anymore. But if I could have, I could have one parallel life, 
where I would read and learn all day. And I would have another parallel life where I would just be like hiking mountains and like scooping up all the flowers out of the fields and kissing all the leaves on the branches. Um, and I, you know, I just, I would do all the things that I love to do, but I would do them like all in. And yeah. I'm, I'm like, I would be like, a, you know, I would do marathons across the Kalahari desert and just run for miles and see all the giraffe. <laughs> and then I would like go to places and teach people to read and write and learn. And I, yeah, I don't know. I, I would do a lot of, of different, I would have like one life where I would just live in Paris, bike around all day and eat bread and cheese. That would definitely yes, be one the life. Oh. <laughs> so amazing. I don't know if I had to put those in order, that wouldn't be like the number one parallel life. But uh. <laughs> eating bread and cheese <laughs> work. Sorry, oh, that is lactose so and like dairy intolerant and gluten free. That would be like the it worst life me. possible for you. Yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. Mm. Well. Those were some great fun facts, but aside from those, tell us about yourself. What does life look like for you right now? That's a great question. Yeah. So I, um, I was working locally with Youth for Christ in my area for about 10 years, and I was working with, you know, folks at school, community programs, drop-in center, hang out with people in my house, all, all of that for about 10 years. And then my friend was opening a cafe. I decided it would be really fun to be a barista because I want to have parallel lives within this life. So I wanted to try to do it all. Turns out it's really hard to live two parallel lives at the same time. Mm. And um, actually, um, since then, I had this amazing opportunity to run a small business that's not at all like ministry related, but it was such an invitation from God. I couldn't ignore it. And I think I'll talk about that a bit more when we get into the interview, because it kind of parallels with uh, why I resonate with one of my dead mentors. But um, now I actually have the joy of getting to be with YFC national team. And I'm in the spiritual formation um, support role where I work with Karen Bott. And so we have a ton of fun encouraging people to build uh, spiritual disciplines into their daily lives, which doesn't look as much like discipline. It looks a lot more like practicing um, being with God through all the crazy normal things of your daily life. So I'm Mm -hmm. back with the national team for about a year now. I've been doing that and it's a ton of fun. And I get to meet folks from all over the country and it's super encouraging for me and I'm still running a motel. So every once in a while I get interrupted with somebody making a reservation at the motel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. Karen is one of our living mentors, which is so fun. (laughs) It's been fun, like having conversations with different people from YFC and all the fun little connections and whatnot. But I also love these fun facts questions because I feel like you learn so much about somebody from just a few random questions. So I think that we will probably most likely have you on the podcast again to talk about you and your life. (laughs) But today um, we are going to be diving into... Uh, your dead mentors. And I think as Ainsley and I were thinking and praying and kind of shaping this season, we realized how important it is to pause, number one, daily, um, but pause and just look back and reflect at God's faithfulness in our own life and in the people of others. And I Mm -hmm. think part of that is that we wanted to look at people who are 
not living anymore. <laughs> and um, yeah. yeah, like God's goodness is beyond our own life, is beyond our own experiences. Yeah. And so we are so thankful and excited to have you here today to talk about two people that I'm not super familiar with. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, I just, it's important to look to the past. I think we've really neglected um, the value of that. And so first question, when did you first become interested in studying people from the past? Yeah. Okay. So just a little thought, what you said was so cool and so interesting. I just, I thought I wanted you to know you're made up of dead people's DNA. Yeah. You know, that's so exciting to think that like, you don't have any new DNA. You just, you only have combinations of DNA that already like were out there. Well, and now they're like this half and this half from two people, but we are basically living dead people. We are made, and when I put my grandfather's ashes in the ground two years ago, it made me realize, oh my gosh, um, that's the end of my mom's genetic material. Like it's only alive in her now. It's not alive in the person that passed it down to her. So we're actually made up of the matter of dead people. Isn't that kind of mm-hmm. cool and interesting? And mm-hmm. this is controversial, but as we start to learn more and more about somatic uh, memories and trauma, we start to learn that we don't just inherit like traits like what we look like. We inherit the stories of the people that lived before us, which means mm-hmm. that you can have like people that went through trauma and now you inherited the wound that they had. So we actually inherit more than just our physical traits from people, which is just so interesting. So we're made up of people that don't exist anymore. And we actually are carrying in our bodies, their stories and their essence. So that's pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. But um, the question that you asked was also interesting. Um, <laughs> so I um, did a program with an organization called Renovare that's in the States and it's a spiritual formation program. And it was similar to like a master's program in that we had to read 24 books in two years. And I don't think I'd ever read that many books in my life. Some people are like readers all the time. I'm the kind of person who has like a stack of five books and I read like one page of each book each day. I just like, I never finish a book. I'm always like surrounded by piles of books and never really actually getting into them. So one of the things about this program was giving a lot of attention to classical Christian writers, which is very important. And I think sometimes overlooked in our day now, And to think that the people who've been before us have been humans just like us. And so they're not actually that different than us. They're actually, they went through the same problems we did. They had, you know, that's why people that study history say like, you know, if we don't study history, we're going to repeat history. If we don't go and look at what they went through and how they navigated and how they overcame, we're going to do the same stuff again. So we'd like to think that we're so much better and so much more grown up than everybody else that's ever walked around on earth before us. But then we're like tripping in all the same places, you know? So Mm -hmm. that's kind of how I got started thinking about people that went before me was by force. And then it turned into being really encouraging and wonderful. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's cool. I think, I mean, I feel like that's relatable. I, I one time did a poll on my Instagram of like, uh, do you like to read one book at a time and finish it? Or do you like to read multiple books? And I'm like a multiple book. Like it's embarrassing how many books I'm reading right now. Um, and like I had people DM me like angry. Like, are you are you nuts? You can read five books at one time. I was like, yeah, why not? It's just uh, what is it? What, what like 
Anyway, it's a very controversial thing. Well, but I'm it's glad very, it's, that's story. a whole podcast in it, in it itself, you know, and you probably lose some <laughs> listeners over that. So don't do that right away. <laughs> but, Just kidding. We all read one book at a time. <laughs> mm. But you know what's interesting? I actually think reading lots of stuff at the same time actually creates kind of a web of knowledge and you end up noticing mm. common themes between different people's lives True. and it interconnects True. to your own life very well. So most people, you know, if, if you're reading people that you're interested in, they're, they're going through the questions and the challenges that you're going through and you sort of get to glean you know, their advice, it's just like you've interviewed all these different people. And how cool is that, that each of them has shared a life with you that you'll never get to fully live, but you get a little like overflow mm. of the wisdom, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. So um, first off, I mean, we're going to talk about a couple people, but we're first going to start off with Julian of Norwich, who I'd never heard of before, truthfully. Uh, so tell us, how did you hear about her? And why would you consider one of your uh, dead mentors? Yeah. Well, um, we had, it's first of all, she's, you know, in the 1300s, that's a long time ago. So mm-hmm. we don't know too many people alive in the 1300s, you know, it's not, it's, it's a lot of generations back and the way people wrote then was, you know, not super highly readable. Uh, it's mm. not just like a quick novel or a comic book. Uh, and so she was one of the women that we studied through uh, through the program I did, but then I got super interested in her, and this is where it ties back into my life, is I felt like I was going through a slightly parallel journey, not as extreme, but I think when you um, know about people's lives, and then you read what they read, like the two things are like two parallel tracks. And mm-hmm. so when you know that someone's gone through something tough, like Corey Ten Boom is like, okay, I can listen to what you're going to say because you've lived it. So mm-hmm. the same thing is when you find out that someone hasn't, hasn't just sat down and authored a book because they felt that they wanted to write something, but they actually went through something and out of the going through something, it turned into a writing, then that's kind of cool. So Julian, actually, um, we don't know anything about her other than little clues from her book. We don't even know her name, actually. Um, it's like they think that's her name and it's from a couple of other sources. So that's kind of interesting to be like mm-hmm. sort of a nameless, faceless person, but they were really a person and they really wrote this book. And so I think that is a really beautiful invitation for us as humans to think if your name and your face were forgotten, what did you do mm. that would last 700 years? Wow. <laughs> Right. Mm. Um, And so what radically um, shifted my life was finding out that she was a person in her 30s who wanted and prayed to have a very deep revelation of Jesus. And at that time, it was very common for people to pray to, like, know the suffering of Christ. Mm. Um, And so she was praying that she would have like a unitive experience with Jesus by understanding his suffering. And let's remember this 1300s was when the plague was happening. So there's a lot of death and suffering. And I mean, we're kind of, I guess you could say in a a little bit of a plague situation now, (laughs) but we have a lot more science on our side. So we understand a little bit. It's not like this just big black cloud of death that we don't understand even where it's coming from. So death was a very, very familiar thing in that time. And um, so she was praying to have this experience with Jesus. She was in her mid-30s, 
which um, is, I think, an interesting point uh, in life where you sort of all the things that you thought were going to happen in life maybe didn't happen exactly like that. I can see you girls are in your 20s, so you're still going to make everything that you want to happen happen, but you will get to that point (laughs) where you realize, like, is this the path I really want to be on? Is this the stuff Mm. I really care about? Like, who do I really want to be? And do I want to be this kind of person because other people told me this my whole life, or do I want to be this because I want to be this? Um, So a lot of big questions come up in um, in that time of life. And she had a lot of big questions because her whole book is writing about these questions. But the other cool fact about her life that I just love is that she became an anchoress. Now, have you ever heard of that word before? Not until you sent me an email that explained what it was. Okay, so what was your impression of that idea when you first saw what I sent you? I was kind of bombarded by, like, that's the reality that some people chose to live. Mm -hmm. Like... Yeah, I don't think it, I, yeah, I need to sit with it a little bit more. Like the reality that people, like that's what, how people chose to live. Right, right. Mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just a little background of, to be an anchorite would be to say, it's like being a hermit, which we know what hermit crabs are. They like are little crabs that hide themselves away in their shell. Um, mm-hmm. So hermits are people that decide that their call from God is to be alone very alone and to to dedicate a large amount of time to prayer and contemplation. And in our world now, that's like everything we don't want, (laughs) especially with all these quarantines and these isolations. We're like, Oh my gosh, don't tell me that's what my life is going to be. Right. Mm. Um, And so this whole idea of feeling called into solitude for the sake of being a gift to others Because what would happen was there'd be the church building and there was all these little windows and then they would build like a little cubby hole onto the outside of one of those windows. And then there'd be a window leading out to the world. And then there'd be a window where the person who was your attendant could come and like bring you food and stuff. They would literally cement you into that room. You're like perma, perma hermit. You're in there for good. How would you feel about that? I was did you either of you have to quarantine for any period of time? And how did that feel? Yes. <laughs> yes. A couple of times. Yes. I would feel like a little, uh, like a bit of a prisoner, to be mm-hmm. honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially the fact that you're literally cemented in. Like there's yeah. no way out. Yeah. I feel like I can just imagine the claustrophobia. Like that's like, and I don't yes. get claustrophobic, but it's like, this is your life. Like it's not just like a fun like right. I like to try, I, I, I'll try anything once. That's kind of yeah. my thing. Yeah. But like, it's this isn't like a, oh, like this would be cool for a season. It's like, you're there and mm-hmm. you're there, there always. Yeah. That's I the know. faith. Right? Mm-hmm. Who would want that? But people were choosing it. So we have to think of, there must've been something really beautiful and good about choosing this life. And, and not to say mm-hmm. we should be doing this again, or into, you know, but to say there was something that that person felt that was a call for their life. And we could learn something from that. To this day, um, Julian is recorded as being the first woman to ever have written anything in English that is still in print. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's pretty cool to think in an era when being a woman was a different thing than it is now, mm-hmm. that that would have provided you safety to do something that otherwise you might have been attacked for doing. Mm. 
is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. The other thing is when you're in a place like maybe you know some friends that are like often home and you can pop by to see them. And you know some friends that are never home. So you don't even bother. Yes? No? Well, you're like smiling. <laughs> I'm normally home. I'm Ainsley's the one that's <laughs> never home. <laughs> oh, Ainsley's going over to Jen's house. <laughs> I knew you were there. <laughs> so for my life, being in ministry for about 10 years, I was everywhere. I was going to the people. I was out and about. I was never home. If I was home, I had all the people at my house, but I, I just wasn't this like stable thing. I was on the move. Mm-hmm. And this motel job is a 24-7 job. I live mm-hmm. in this building and my only job is to answer the phone when it rings and not to leave. So I felt like a little bit of God saying there could be a gift in you confining. I mean, we didn't cement the door shut, okay? <laughs> it wasn't that extreme. <laughs> but there was this gift in giving up something that I really like to do, which is travel, go around wherever, whatever, be super social, to say, you know, to actually do less could be more. Mm-hmm. And that's really a, a big um, sacrifice, you know? So that was where I felt my life tied into Julian's life um, is this invitation to do less and that that doing less was actually going to be doing more for God. So Julian had this experience when she was in her mid thirties where she was on her deathbed and what they, she was, she thought she was dying, but she didn't die. And at that time it was very common that they'd come and give people their last rites, which was kind of like a priest coming to visit you and bless you before you died. Um, and they put this cross in front of her. And um, in that moment, she had this vision and it was an answer to her prayer that she had wanted to be really united with Jesus. And, and there's 15 like different like kind of chapters in this, like it took like five hours that she was basically kind of in this coma state where she was completely out of it. And then she just was talking. It was like a, it was like a near death experience what we would say now. And in those visions, she saw Jesus suffering and dying. And she got to ask him like all these really tough questions that um, I think we'd all want to ask God if we could meet him or that we will when we do meet him that way. And I don't know, what, what, what questions would you people, would you girls ask God if you could ask him one question? But not like about like, who am I going to marry or something like that? Yeah, like, yeah, no. about like condition of the world. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, oh my gosh. Like so many, like it's actually hard to even like grasp one. The first one that came to mind is like, how do you do it? I think yeah. about bearing the weight of the suffering of the whole world yeah. to just like, I feel like in my sphere of influence, I'm aware of enough suffering and to know the suffering of each person, like, wow, like, tell me about that love. Like, Mm. I just, it's so mind blowing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of things. (laughs) I think. See, it's so interesting because you can like. I know that the things that I wonder I can bring to him in prayer now, yes. right? right? I think I would really, I would ask him questions about things that have happened either in my life or other people's lives and just like ask him where he was working. Cause there's yeah. quite a few things that I'm like, yeah, I know you're good, but I don't see it. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Yeah. And then I think I would ask him questions about like, like right now I'm reading through Mark. And so time and time again, he does things away from a crowd, like intentionally does it. And I'm like, if I was Jesus and I wanted to (laughs) like, like the time is now for the kingdom, God's kingdom to be proclaimed, right? That's not the way that I would do it. And so I would ask him how he, yeah, like how did he do that? I mean, he's, he's God, but I would ask him about that. Yeah. Because I want to cultivate that in my own life, too. Mm. Um, Yeah, there's so many things. My (laughs) mind's going all over the place. Great. Well, maybe you need to pray to have a very close experience, and you'll have some visions of Jesus, and they'll tell you these things. That's what happened to Jillian. So um, her book, she had a short version of it that she wrote quite shortly after that happened. But then for Mm. 20 years, she didn't write anything, and she didn't go into being an anchorite until, and that's when, 20 years later, when she went into this closed space, that she actually wrote. So I don't know about you, I'm, I'm looking at Ainsley in particular, and I feel like, you know, if you needed to write an assignment, you you might have to stop bouncing around so much. You might need to kind of like <laughs> stay home for a week or two, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> Called out. <laughs> no. <laughs> This is literally, I'm in school right now, so you're saying oh, very uh, oh, pointed sorry. things so right sorry. now. So, it's great. It's great. <laughs> yeah, you can edit this out. It's okay. But what I'm saying is when you're a very social person who just enjoys being out in the world so much, to be able to write, you need to pull yourself away. And so actually, Julian only wrote the long version where, where she wrote what she saw, but then she also wrote like 20 years worth of thinking. Like what happened in those wow. few hours she thought about for 20 years And then she wrote out like all the ruminations of like what she had discovered through thinking about this. And for me, I am like, just in case it's not obvious, like a super high energy person and I love being around people. (laughs) So the last few years of being in this um, closed in space, I really saw them as an invitation for me to spend time reading and writing that I otherwise, like, let's just be honest, I wouldn't do it. (laughs) I think about it. It's one of my (laughs) parallel lives though, remember? It's not the one. Right, exactly, exactly. So Julian had a lot of really big questions that were actually really similar to what both of you girls said, which is, um, why does bad stuff happen? Aren't you bigger than all of this? Why can't you stop it? Um, And that's what's so amazing is that Jesus can handle our big questions. Mm -hmm. And he said all kinds of cool things to her. And one of the most famous quotes that everybody knows about Julian of Orange is, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well, which basically means everything's going to be okay. And even if any of these outcomes happen, I can still make it okay, Mm. which means God's so big, like you're Ainsley talking about, you know, you've seen the suffering you've seen in the world, which is a very limited amount compared to how much there is, has already overwhelmed you. And so making you think, how could God not step in or do something. And this realization that the amount of suffering we've seen is so small compared to the bigness of God, that we've seen it out of proportion. It's like when you're holding a very small thing close to your face and you're looking at a big thing, you see the small thing is big. And we see suffering as everything. Mm. And what happens in this one other really famous part that a lot of people refer to, God shows her in his hand, Jesus shows her a little thing about the size of a hazelnut. And he said, everything is like this to me. It is all this small. And I still love it. 
and I still treasure it and I care for it. And he's just trying to show I'm so big. You have no idea. And mm-hmm. so that put everything in perspective for her that the, even the suffering, he, he's always talking, Jesus in the, in the visions is always talking about, I will turn all the suffering into worship. I will turn all the evil into worship. I will transform everything that seemed like darkness. Not that he wanted it to happen, but he's so creative that this does not escape his plan and he can use it. So think about something in your life that you're like, I hate that that happened. And I know God didn't want that to happen, but God is so good that he can use what happened. Mm. Do you, are you thinking of something? (laughs) (laughs) Just, just let it soak in. Yeah, let it soak in. And that is a powerful thing to the difference between God wanting something to happen and God using something that did happen. And Mm -hmm. if you're so big, you're like a really awesome parent, you can let your children play in the yard and they're going to fall over and they're going to scrape themselves. And that's not beyond you. And what God's essentially saying is all the suffering in the world isn't beyond me redeeming and using for my glory. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, this is just so good. <laughs> I think too, like these things that you're talking about are stemmed from experiences that somebody from the 1300s went through. Yeah. Like yeah. that's the thing, right? Like God's goodness mm-hmm. in all seasons and all things and his sovereignty throughout time. Right. Hmm. And sort of we're like, we already right like when we sit around with our grandparents, we're like, oh, they don't understand anything. And but like yeah. they used to be our age. And so everybody's yeah. got everybody has been a child. Everybody's been a teenager, yeah. you know. And so to think that the things that have happened for hundreds and hundreds of years, those really deep struggles. And even it's interesting that both of you, the questions you had were about pain and suffering and evil. Why? Why? Mm. And I think that's just a question we all struggle with seeing the things that we see why doesn't god step in and do something more Mm -hmm. so that's why julian has been ultra encouraging and inspiring for me especially recently so first of all her life the fact that she decided to put herself in this confined space and second of all the things that she wrote that came out of the safety she had from that confined space and i'm just so thankful that she made that sacrificial gift so that she could have a safe place to write all that stuff so that we Mm. could read it. Mm -hmm. And side note, if you're a person that doesn't feel that you could handle English from the 1300s, just listen to it in audio version. And at least you don't get Mm. stuck in all the like nitty gritty of it. So there's this great app that I use called LibriVox and it means free voice and any public domain books, which means any classic books that are like a hundred years or older are free on there. And it's an audio book thing. So you can go and listen. And what's nice about it is, you know, when you're reading a book and you get stuck on a word, you stop. But if it's an audio book, it's like playing with the band and you're not very good at playing. You want to keep stopping, but like the band's still playing. So you just pick it back up and keep going. So Mm -hmm. an audio um, book for the Julian of Norwich revelations of divine love is a great way to just get at least some of it into you with the audio book. Mm. Are you so good. audiobooks? 
Yes, this is, I was like, how did I not know about this? <laughs> good to know. Fantastic to know. I'm awesome. a paper book kind of gal. <laughs> I've had like good it. intentions to get into it, but if I'm reading a book, I also like, I write in them or I underline yeah. stuff. So I do. I like that a little bit better. <laughs> um, I just want to say you can, on the Gutenberg Project, which is another free website online, you can get all public domain books printed. And like, I have this wonderful, remarkable tablet um, that you can download PDF books and stuff. So if you have any kind of e-reader or something, you could actually for free download the books. So it's a good way to kind of not have to commit financially to something to at least Mm. start kind of checking it out. So Julian has a lot, uh, a lot of like a lot of her themes have to do with pain and suffering and understanding why that happened. And then a huge, just burst of, whoa, God's love is so crazy big. And, Mm. um, and, and that he, and another word that she uses a lot is wanting or oneness. She recognizes that God and her, there's an invitation from Jesus to be one with her and to be united Mm. with. And I think that was something one of you mentioned too, was sort of like, why did he go away by himself to do things? I guess I'm not really a lot like him. I guess he does stuff different than me or his ways aren't my ways or I want to understand his ways. And so a big invitation to that was Jesus saying, I want to be one with you. Like you can come and be part of the way I'm doing life. So Mm. that's been really encouraging for me when I feel that I want to do so much and I'm only able to do so little in my lifetime, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, there's so much here, Vivian, so much. I feel like we could talk hours just specifically, like just on the things that you've shared here. I would love for you to expand more on um, the gifts that come from confinement, whether that's like literal confinement as in Julian of Norwich's case. But how have you personally been blessed by that because that's an idea and a thought that is very countercultural extremely yeah well like why don't you tell what you know you said you've been in quarantine a couple times and like I know you told us what was frustrating about it but what was wonderful about it I love slowing down it's so good like Mm -hmm. and again I'm more introverted which people are kind of surprised by but I think it, it was just like really uh like I had nowhere else to go. Practicing silence and solitude was so good. Like I, I really think that kind of was a good um, springboard into reclimatizing to be back with people and <laughs> rhythms and life and all that stuff. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ains? I, I haven't had to do too much quarantining. I mean, I had to do like kind of the, like when we were in lockdowns. But I never was alone. So I, I don't know that I experienced that. Type well, that's of a gift you still have to discover. Mm, we'll yeah. pray for you for that. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. She's like, yeah, no, like please, no, thank you. I'm good. The time, the time, I, I feel like it's coming at some point, but I haven't had to yet. So, yeah. um, but I, I do think like the, I can still resonate with some of the like, coming away or being by yourself and I think it's funny because I'm not I'm not an extrovert who hates being alone like some people like they can't handle being alone I'm not like that but I don't always like think about the value of it I remember the first time I ever found like it was when I worked at camp a few years ago and I like 
it was probably like seven weeks or something into the summer and my night off came and typically like my best friend, I had the same night off. So we would always like go do stuff together, but I was on my own on my night off and I didn't have anyone with me. And I went to a coffee shop and I sat and had coffee and like wrote and like did art and drank coffee and like didn't do anything like just by myself. And I was like, mm-hmm. I haven't been alone in three months for more than like half an hour at a time. Like I was like, not once. And I remember just being like, wow, like alone time actually is a gift. Like even if I didn't notice it, like, and I think that being able to like stop and like the noise, like let the noise kind of cut out of just all the things and just Mm. be, and you're like, wow, maybe Jesus was onto something. (laughs) There's the outer noise and then there's the inner noise. So first you get away from distraction and then you realize you are a distraction to yourself Mm. and you realize it's like a daycare full of children inside of you all screaming to get your attention. And you're like, Mm. how is this happening? What on earth? You know? So yeah, there's, you know, to think that Julian essentially had kind of like a five hour close contact with Christ and then spent a good 20 years thinking about it and then went into this closed space and spent her life writing this out. And, and she was basically like this person that everyone would go to for advice and counsel because they knew where she was going to be. So there's this little window Mm. and they would go and be like, I don't know what to do about this. I don't know what to do about that. Can you pray for me? Help me. And so knowing that there's someone there, is like this resource for everybody because they don't have anywhere to go. And so you can go to them. So I think that's been a gift for me is recognizing that um, you, it also kind of weeds out all your insecurities. Cause you're like, if I were at home, like I'd have to trust that people would want to come to my house and maybe actually nobody really likes me. And really they only want to see me because I go and see them. So it kind of like <laughs> makes you have mm. to deal with all of your insecurities and, and be before God and go, who am I really? Um, so I love what you said, Ainsley, about, uh, this time at the cafe that you had and actually, um, what, uh, precipitated me going into, um, that program that I took was I took a sabbatical and I went, um, for two months I was in Europe by myself and I actually stayed in monasteries with monks and nuns in silence. So cool. Wow. Well, it sounds cool. But it's actually really not. It, it sounds wonderful. And then you get there and you're like, what on earth was I expecting to happen? I'm just alone mm. all the time. And I'm scared because I don't really want to face all my big questions. Uh, I just sort of thought they'd just like go away and I'd be like the sound of music, like dancing through the fields or something. <laughs> <laughs> So that was a gift that I got to face, you know, the cave of my own soul. And you kind of get afraid of what's in there. Well, big questions are kind of holding me hostage. And so that was a gift to get to go and do that and to spend that time in solitude, even though it was really, really scary, um, but good scary. So I think being alone, to answer your question, Jen, is, um, is a gift to yourself first and a gift to God that he has your attention. And then it's a gift to the community. It's a gift to the people that get to hear what you discovered in that space and time. And they get to come and visit you and, and, and enter into that space with you that they wouldn't know how to create on their own. Hmm. 
<laughs> wow. Yeah, there's there's so many good things. I think it's so neat to see. And it's just, oh, man, so many so many great reminders. Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, it's like this. I feel like we're learning so much. And yet it's just hard to grasp even exactly what it would be like for her. Um, there's so much we can draw out of that. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of one, one question to kind of uh, go with this is, how has God shaped you through your study of Julian? Part of it was actually her, the story of her life, which was very secret. Um, and feeling um, that I'm not the only one being invited into that kind of a radical life of I guess the word that I would say is obscurity, which means kind of like namelessness or not being recognized is like, I'm an Enneagram three. So I'm like, I want people to approve of me. I want people to like me and and God to say, Viv, like, if it's only me telling you that I like you and that I approve of you, like, is that enough? And I'm like, mm. yeah, but it would be really nice if everybody else also told me. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it was just a realigning for me and recognizing that I'm not alone. And, you know, in our worlds, uh, we, you know, we're really socially connected to people, but often we still feel alone. We still feel very alone in our own inner life. So to meet people outside of the time that I will, like, I won't get to visit her, you know, I can't hop on a plane, but to be like, there's people in history that, that have had that same inner feeling that I've felt it is a very comforting thing. It's like the cloud of witnesses. There's people in that cloud mm. that, that have been through things we've been through and, and, and have some wisdom and encouragement for us, right? Amazing. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I think it's just interesting to consider um, that we look for people who look like us and act like us to give us advice. But what that's doing is just creating an echo chamber where we just Mm. hear ourselves. So if we want to grow, we have to be around people who are doing different things than us and experiencing different things than us. And then we'll actually find out that they're actually a lot more like us than we thought and that their wisdom has something to say to us. So that's important for me is to think, if you let me pick what people I want to have over for dinner, or if you let me pick which folks I want to be friends with, I pick people that are a lot like me. And then what I'm doing is I'm just staying just like me right now. But the better thing would be to let myself be around people that make me a little uncomfortable. And that's uncomfortable and so I need a little nudging and prodding to be like that but it's so beautiful yeah Mm. Mm. it's a good word and very timely it's interesting how so much of what we're learning from this conversation is I mean an ancient story Mm. but like absolutely timeless in the Mm -hmm. truths of it in so many ways like Mm -hmm. each of those pieces I think are really really valuable Mm -hmm. um yeah, lots of lots of food for thought. I feel like everyone who's listening is going to be like, "This is just leaving me wanting more," which is perfect. What's the one thing that, like, I know you've only heard this little snippet, but what do you, what do you feel um, is a challenge or or like an encouragement in your own personal life? Hearing that there's been people, you know, being like, "I didn't even know this person existed," and now mm. to be like, "Wow, how does that encourage you?" I mean, how beautiful is the body of Christ? Like, I, I just, it's like. 
I think sometimes we talk about the body of Christ of like people who are now, um, right. but right. like just thinking about these people who, who, and I mean, luckily we have these things to consider and go back and read and learn from and talk about from mm-hmm. like this specific, um, girl and, and that gift that she was just, she, she was, she was just living her life in her call and like mm-hmm. that is now blessing for generations. But even to think about the people who maybe didn't write, like you said, she was the first woman to write something in English that we still have. And it's like, there's all these other people who have just lived the kingdom of God and Mm -hmm. we don't even have any clue. And it wasn't about their glory. It was God's glory. And like all of those, well, like you said, like those pieces of DNA is actually a great even metaphor for Mm -hmm. that is that Mm -hmm. all of those generations and generations and generations is still passed down and part of us. And it's not like it, it, it doesn't ever go away, even if we have no clue that it even exists. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, all of this just draws me into a deeper sense of worship. Like mm-hmm. I, I think these moments are good. I think I realized how much these conversations, like, yeah, we like release episodes for work friends and like, this is for Jesus. It really is. But I learned so much from people like you that we sit with and we, we dive into the word or people's lives or their own lives. And I think as we look back at dead mentors, specifically Mm -hmm. um, Julian of Norwich. I think I'm just in kind of awe of God's goodness. And again, his invitation that he extends to each of us as we kind of looked at her specific invitation and and her desire to know him. Yes. Like I, yeah, that's the easiest way for me to explain it is like a deeper sense of awe and worship (laughs) for how good our God is and how almighty and powerful and sovereign he is and all knowing (laughs) like I'm not alone in the things that I wrestle with. I'm not the first person to wrestle with the things that I am. And yet God knows me personally and knows my name. And and the same is true for you. The same is true for Ainsley. The same is true for Julian. It's just, yeah, it draws me into a deeper sense of worship. I think as, as we're having this conversation, Oh, yeah, so good. <laughs> Maybe I can just read one last quote of hers before we end this. Yes, yes, please and, do. Uh, and thank you so much for asking these good questions. And I hope that, you know, it's sort of like um, when you're an archaeologist and you begin digging in the dirt and then you're like, I found a dinosaur bone. And then you like, it's just mm. the beginning and you have like so much more digging to do. And I think that's what we're out to do is to create curiosity for people so that they can go and do some digging on their own and find out what kind of questions really block me off from God. What kind of questions mm. make me think, I don't know if he's real or I'm not sure if he can handle my problems. And so if we can get people to start on that little archeological dig and find a little hint of something, then that's just like the beginning of this life of exploration and discovery and questioning and digging up. So anyways, here's Mm. the, the quote I will read for you. It says, for we are so preciously loved by God that we cannot even comprehend it. No created being can ever know how much and how sweetly and tenderly God loves them. It is only with the help of his grace that we are able to persevere in spiritual contemplation with endless wonder at his high, surpassing, immeasurable love, which our Lord in his goodness has for us. (laughs) The end. The end, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) 
Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We have more amazing conversations like this coming up. So make sure you subscribe, follow, do all the things so that you don't miss part two of this conversation next week. Until then, bye. Have a great week. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You loved it. Don't lie.